And I want to ask you to go ahead, grab your Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 13 together, our third week in this particular chapter. And really the, the last week we will spend in this chapter. But as you're going there to John 13, let me just ask you a question. How many of you have a movie, or maybe more than one, that you really can't explain why, but every time it's on TV, you watch like five or ten minutes of it? Anybody got that type of movie? Okay. Um, I got a couple of them. Here's a confession. Uh, one of them is Forrest Gump for me. I can't explain it. Um, it it's just a movie when we had cable that if it came on, I was going to watch about five to ten minutes of it, even though I could pretty much... Uh, quote that movie line by line throughout the 400 years it takes to watch that movie. Yeah, there's a lot of memorable lines from it, but one in particular, Forrest is you know, professing his love for his Jenny, and she is rejecting him yet again. And Forrest just looks at her and says, I may not be a very smart man, but I know what love is. You know, we live in a society that is obsessed with love. Love, love, love. I mean, they throw it around all over the place. You know, really in our society, uh, it's possible to love pizza, sports, and our spouse. And we use the same word, which really makes me kind of wonder, do we understand what love is? And it's important for you and I as disciples of Jesus to understand what love is for this reason. The one big thing this morning is simply this. A genuine love for others is the defining characteristic of a disciple of Jesus. Now, if this is true, we need to know what love is, but then further, we need to know how to express it to those around us. So let's look at it together. John chapter 13. I'm going to begin in verse 31 and ask if you can, would you stand as we honor God's word? The word says this, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, as I said unto the Jews, Whether I go, you cannot come. And now I say to you, A new commandment I give unto you, That ye love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity just to open up your word for a few minutes. And God, we ask that you would help us to simply hear the truth of your word. But Lord, that we would go beyond just hearing the word to actually obeying it. And so, Lord, may your Holy Spirit be our teacher this morning. Would you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, the one big thing is the genuine love for others is the defining characteristic of a disciple of Jesus. For the last seven weeks, we've been asking the question, who is Jesus and Lord willing, we're going to spend this morning and next week uh, in wrapping this particular series up. And there's two things that we learn about Jesus in this text. The first one is this, that Jesus glorified God in the cross. Now here in verse 31, when it says, now is the Son of Man, that word now is connecting 
the previous events with Judas to what Jesus is about to tell his disciples. It is Jesus telling his disciples, now the plan of God is going to unfold exactly the way it was supposed to. The Jesus, if you remember back to last week, Jesus revealed that Judas was part of the mission in the story. That God knew who Judas was from the very beginning. And he had it all under control. And so he's saying, now is the Son of Man glorified. Now my Father's plan, the purpose that I came here for, it's now going to begin to play out in front of us. Now up to this point, the disciples didn't really understand when Jesus would talk about himself rising from the dead. And so Jesus is going to not only tell them what is about to happen, but he's going to answer the question of why is it going to happen. I think about it. For those of you that, that have had small children or maybe still have small children, when you tell your child to do something, what's the first question they ask you? Why? And what is our pre-programmed response? Because I said so. Now, should that be sufficient to take care of it? Yes. Does it? No. But why? But why? Over and over and over. Why? Because in answering the question, because I said so, we haven't really answered the question. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus tells them not only what is getting ready to transpire, but he then answers the most important question. Why is it going to transpire? You see, for a first century Jewish person, when they would think of the Messiah, they were thinking of a political figure. They were thinking of somebody who was going to come in and he was going to kick all the Gentile governments out of Jerusalem. He was going to restore Israel to her rightful place. They were expecting a coronation. But Jesus was explaining he had to go to the cross. And we're an awful lot like the disciples in that way, aren't we? We want the crown, but we don't want the difficulties in life. But Jesus is reminding us that without a cross, there can never be a crown. And Jesus tells us as a disciple the exact same mission. There in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, he says, And he said to them all, If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So what does it mean for us to bear our cross? Well, bearing our cross doesn't mean dealing with difficult family members, bosses, or coworkers. Bearing your cross isn't an excuse for blatant rebellion against God. You know, sometimes we, we do something and we're like, I know I shouldn't, but you know, I really can't help it, so it's the cross I bear. No, that's not what it means to bear the cross. To bear your cross means to bear the full weight and responsibility of loving Jesus and serving him first and foremost, regardless of the cost. To bear the cross means I'm never going to ask God what's in this for me. I'm never going to be weighing my options when God says, go do this, I'm going to say, yes, Lord. Is a complete and absolute surrender of our life and our will to the lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ.
That's what he meant by bearing our cross. You know, there, there's a song. It's an older song in your hymn book, but it says this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus uh, than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. Than to be the king of a vast domain or to be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. That's what it means to bear the cross. It means I want Jesus and that's all I want. Whatever he gives me on top of himself is icing on the cake. It's what it means to seek first, seek today the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. And so we have to ask this question, are we seeking Jesus above all else? Here in verses 31 and 32, Jesus is giving the the disciples the big picture. Now, why do we give the big picture? Well, I want you to think about when you work a puzzle. So you open the box and you dump all the pieces out. But what do you do with the box top? You typically set it up right off to the side. Why? Because you want to know where the pieces go. You want to know what this thing is supposed to look like when you're done with it. Well, Jesus is is giving us the box top view. He's giving us the big picture so that the little pieces of that picture begin to make sense. So what's the big picture here in this text? It's God's glory. You know, the Gospel of John talks about God's glory 23 times. Five of those times are right here in our verse. What does it mean, glory? It means honor due or excellence. And we see both of these in verses 31 and 32. See, because Jesus is God, to see Him is to see God. To hear Him speak is to hear God speak. We learn what God is like. And when we do that, the only acceptable response is to praise and to worship Him for who He is. See, in the cross we see God's holiness and His love. His righteousness and mercy. His justice and His grace. Because He is holy, because He is morally excellent, He can't tolerate sin. But in His love, He pays the price for sin Himself. This is what should evoke love, worship, adoration, and worship for who God is. D.A. Carson says it this way, quote, The cross is the highest moment of God's revelation to mankind. There is no better place we can look to understand who God is than in the cross. There is no greater place for us to look and to recognize that He is worthy of all our praise and all of our worship than the cross. If we want to know God, we simply need to look to the cross. If we want to be transformed by God, we need to study Because in the cross, we see who God is. 
and we see who we are to be like. Do you understand the beauty that is the cross? That God's glory was revealed and that He holds everybody to the same standard. When Romans 3 says, for all the sin to come to the shore of the glory of God, He's not talking about most, He's talking about all people. When He says, for the wages of sin is death, He's talking, this is what we all deserve. Or in Ephesians 2, when He says that we are all, that you were dead in your sins and trespasses. He is talking about all of us. And so in His holiness, He holds everybody to the same standard. There's no favorites with God. But then in His grace, we also see that He doesn't play favorites because He offers His grace to all people regardless of who they are and what they have done. That's why the Scripture says, for whosoever will can be saved. This should evoke praise and adoration for us because of who God is. But the second thing that we learn about Jesus in this text is simply this. Jesus is the standard love. Verse 33 informs us of the meaning of 34 and 35. When Jesus says, little children, in a little while I'm, I'm with you and you're going to seek me, as I said, you cannot come. What was he saying? He was once again saying, my death on the cross is the only way you can be saved. This is yet another claim of the exclusiveness of the gospel. Jesus saying, I'm going alone because I'm the only one who can go and pay that price. We truly understand this. See, we see what love is because of the cross. That's why Jesus then goes, a new commandment I give to you. Now, some of you who have been in church for a while, you studied the Bible, you go, wait a minute, that's not really a new command. You're right. All the way back in the law, we see that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. So if the command's not new, what is? The standard is new. See, the law says love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus doesn't say love your neighbor as yourself. What does he say? As I have loved you, that you would also love one another. The standard of our love is a higher standard for the disciple of Jesus. We are not just to do good to those who do good to us. We are not just to love those who love us. We are due to do good to all people. We are to love all people. Now, where does it begin? It begins in the church. How do we know it? Notice what he says. You love one another. Who's he talking to? His disciples. If you and I, as brothers and sisters, cannot love each other, even though we have a lot in common and similar beliefs, do we really think we're going to be able to love a world that despises who we love and live for? Do we really believe that I can hate my brother or my sister and really love the lost? See, church, if we can't love each other, if we feel more comfortable with the world than we do our family, it might be because we belong to the world. The standard of love is how God has loved us. How has God loved us? He has loved us sacrificially. He has served us. He has given us grace, mercy, forgiveness, and He has given us truth. There can be no genuine love without truth. 
And so we see what God is calling us to, but it still leads to the question, how? So let me suggest two things for the how of this text. The first one is this, love one another. Now you're going, duh. But I don't want you to miss the, the clear command from God. If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, this is an optional. This is expected. This is proof. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, it was pretty easy to see who his disciples were. Like if you saw somebody walking with Jesus day in, day out, if they were saying the same things Jesus said, if they were doing the same things Jesus did, well, guess what? You could assume that's a disciple of Jesus. But what about us today? Look at verse 35. By this shall all men or all the world know that you are my disciples. If you have love one to another. The defining characteristic of a disciple is love. They love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they love others as Jesus loves them. This is what we are called to do. To practically live out this command, I want to give you two suggestions. The first one, be sacrificial. A trait of genuine love is the willingness to be inconvenienced for someone else's benefit. This could be your spouse, it could be your family, other people. Genuinely loving them is never asking, what's in this for me? See, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love doesn't insist on its own way. Later on in the book of Philippians, Paul says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That 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 mind of Jesus demonstrates love by doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Looking not on your own interest, but looking on the interest of others. This is the standard of love. So how can I know if I love the way Jesus loves me? Let's ask a few questions. Think of somebody that you love. Do you love them for what they can do for you? Or what they can give you? See, Jesus would say that's a pharisaical kind of love. That's what he said the Pharisees were doing. They were loving those who loved them. They did good to those who could benefit them. Jesus goes, that's not really love. So why do you love the person that you're thinking of right now? The world says love is an emotion and is a feeling that is based on you getting your needs met. The Bible says that genuine love is not on what can I get, but rather what can I give. How can I serve Diane? How can I serve Andrew Noah, Kaylee, Catalea? How can I serve all of you? How can I serve this community? What can I give as an offering to glorify my Father in heaven and to do good for you? This is what it means to love. Ask yourself this question. Do I always have to be right? Ever met that person that they have to have the last word and they've got to be right? All right, by the way, if you can't think of somebody, somebody's probably thinking of you. Just saying. But, I mean, do we always have to be right? Do we reject an idea if it's not our idea? 
if we had the idea, would we think it's the greatest idea ever? But because you came up with it, that's the dumbest idea ever. Is that our mentality? What about this? Do I get upset if people don't do things the way I would do them or the way I think they ought to be done? We're starting to get personal now, aren't we? Now, why should we ask these questions? Because those questions reveal the number one sin, the root of all other sin, pride. If I have to be right, if it's got to be my way, it's got to be my idea, then I am prideful. And if I'm living in pride, there's only one person I'm going to love. In pride, it's all about my needs. It's all about my wants, my desires, my wishes. But in humility, when I have a right view of who I am, and I understand what I deserve, and I recognize what God has given me, then I'm going to want to lovingly serve you. I'm going to want to serve Diana and my family. So the question this morning in pride is this, or in love is, are you prideful? Is your love all about you? Or is it about the glory of God and the good of others? Now, you're probably thinking, okay, I'm with you. What's another way, right? Here's a second way can we can practically live out loving others. Don't be suspicious. That's another way of just going, give people the benefit of the doubt. Have you ever noticed that we tend to judge people based on their actions while expecting others to judge us based on our intentions? Somebody hurts us and we go... Yeah, look at what you did. And they go, well, I didn't mean to. Yes, you did. If you didn't mean to, why'd you do it, right? And then we go off and we hurt somebody. And somebody comes to us and they go, hey, man, you really hurt us. Well, I didn't mean to. I don't care. You did. Well, you, you just need to lighten up. You ever had this conversation? Why? Because you're not loving. Loving is giving other people the benefit of the doubt. Going hand in hand with giving people the benefit of the doubt is this. Have a sense of humor. Sometimes people are great at intentions. And they are lousy at execution. I'm saying that because that's me. Okay? So just, let, just letting you know that. Alright? You could go sit with Diana for hours on end. And she could tell you all of the great intentions I had and how horribly they went. Sometimes you just got to laugh stuff off. You know what? People are going to hurt you. And here's the worst thing. Sometimes they are going to intentionally hurt you. And you can get mad and you can want to get even or you can put it into perspective. Years ago, there was a great baseball player for the Boston Red Sox. His name was Manny Ramirez. Manny Ramirez was a great ball player, but he did some of the most boneheaded things I've ever seen done on a baseball field. He was so out there, his teammates coined a phrase, that's just Manny being Manny. 
That was, we can't explain it, we're not even going to try to. You know what? Fallen, sinful, broken people hurt other people. One of the greatest pieces of wisdom I've gotten in 40 years came from my wife. Diana said, Justin, you need to remember this. Hurting people hurt people. And it's true. Now I understand it doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't take the sting away. But hopefully it's going to put it in perspective for you. That when somebody hurts you, when something about you or against you, understand it is coming because they themselves are hurting. And so it is an invitation not to judge them or get angry at them, but rather to extend grace, mercy, and forgiveness to them. It's an invitation to go love them because they are hurting and broken just like you. That's how we love. Now you're really probably going, sounds good. How in the world? Leads to number two. Look to the cross. Let's be honest. There are times when loving and serving other people is hard. There's times when it feels like doing good to somebody else feels more like a chore than it does a privilege. And in those moments, we need to look to the cross. And we need to remember just how far Jesus went to serve us. And we need to remember that no one will do more harm to us than Judas did to Jesus. And earlier in this chapter, Jesus got down on his knees and he washed Judas's feet. Hours after this chapter, Jesus went to the cross for Judas. And if Jesus can love and serve Judas, who betrayed him and put in motion his crucifixion, then I'm pretty sure you and I can love and serve other people. Because no matter how bad they have hurt us, they have not done more to hurt and to grieve us than we have done to hurt and grieve God. And if God can love us enough to leave the glory of heaven, to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to lay it down on the cross for your sins, for my sins, and indeed the sins of the world, including those who hate him, then certainly it is not too much for us to be able to forgive those who have hurt us and to love them the way Jesus loved us. But on our own, we can't. Not only can we not do it, but we wouldn't want to do it. This is why we have to learn to rest in Jesus. Now, what does it mean to rest in Jesus? It means to stop working, trying to get your salvation, and rest and trust that what Jesus did on the cross was all that was necessary for us to be saved. We need to rest in him, but then we need to learn to rely on him. We need to be able to, to say, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And as we do that, he gives us the power to love as he loves us. 
when you find yourself struggling to love, serve, or even forgive, look to the cross. Understand that Jesus bore our sin and our shame, taking our punishment, paying a debt that he didn't owe so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with him. And if he can love and forgive us, and he gives us the power to do the same, why aren't we? See, this morning, every one of us in here needs to look to the cross. If you're here and you have never trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's the call for you today. To no longer trust in what you have done or can do to be good enough. But to fully trust that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to restore us to a right relationship with God. Not just now, but for all time. That's the call for you. But the gospel isn't just for the sinner, it's also for the saint. See, the cross calls us to love Jesus with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and to love others as Jesus has loved us, including those who have hurt us, including those who continue to hurt us. I love what the Christian author C.S. Lewis said about forgiveness. He said, we forgive the inexcusable in others, Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. That's the standard. How often do I forgive? Every time. What do I forgive? Everything. Why? Because that's what my God did on that cross for me. So often people say the proof of their salvation is, well, I told them I'm a Christian, okay? So let me ask this question. Does your life back up that assertion? Does our life reflect the love, the grace, and the mercy that's found in the cross of Jesus Christ? And are we reflecting that to the world? Or do we need to spend some time just talking with God, bearing our soul? Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together? Father, in the quietness of this moment, as we continue just to move forward in this worship service, Father, you know where we all stand with you. You know whether we have trusted you or not. You know whether we're relying on you and your grace to save us or if God we're trying to earn it ourselves. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who are not saved. I pray that they have heard the glorious news of the gospel. That they can be saved and they can be forgiven today. That they can have a relationship with you now and forever based not on who they are or what they have done, but on what Jesus did for them. But Father, the, the gospel isn't just for the lost, it's for the, for the saved as well. Lord, we still have a sin nature living inside of us that is at war with our new nature, 
We know we're supposed to love. We know we're supposed to forgive. But sometimes, God, the, that old sin nature comes up and it's hard. And we're frustrated and we're hurt and we, we just want somebody else to feel our pain. Father, as we look to the cross and we remember those first words that you, that, that Jesus uttered on that cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was saying, Father, don't hold this against them. And Lord, if you didn't hold my sin against me, how can I hold the sin of somebody else against them? How can I withhold that which you have freely given to me. And so, Lord God, I pray if there's someone here who is struggling, man, they're, they're just bitter, they're angry, they're hurt. God, would they just lay it down this morning? Would they let your love and your grace just wash over them? Change their heart, change their life. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will grab your hymnals, we're going to go to page 182.